Hi, welcome to the Stir Crazy series here at Three Circle Church. Have you guys ever tried an escape room? If you don't know what that is, man, it's a lot of fun. What you do is you get some friends together and you go to this place called an escape room. And basically what they've done is they've taken a room and they have put all these clues inside of it. Sometimes it'll look like a living room. Sometimes it'll look like a kitchen. It just depends on the setting and they change them all the time. But it's a lot of fun because they lock you in the room and in order to get out of the room, you have to solve all of the clues. And I've done this a few times with friends and had a really good time with it. But the thing about an escape room is that you really want out of there. Like the whole deal, you're being timed. The goal of an escape room is to get out as quickly as you can. Uh, but the, the deal is, when, as we study the Apostle Paul's time in prison uh, in Rome, and, and well, in Roman imprisonment, he was headed to Rome, uh, what you're going to understand is that God actually had him in that prison for a reason. And throughout this series, what we're learning is the way God works, it's not like an escape room. In an escape room, there's all these clues and you're trying to get them as quickly as you can. But God actually is trying to change us and grow us, we're going to find out today, while we are in our confinement. Instead of trying to break out as fast as we can, the question Christians should ask is, what is God trying to do in me and through me while I am here? And that is the question that Paul uh, from the New Testament is answering for us throughout this series. We've all been claustrophobic. Over the past year with the pandemic and all that we have experienced, we've all felt a little closed in. I think we've all felt a little stir-crazy. And what I want you to understand is prisons don't just come uh, in, in the form that Paul experienced, where it's actually a physical uh, prison. Uh, being confined doesn't just come in the form of like being in an escape room and trying to get out as quickly as you can. No, no, your prisons and your pain and your escape room, if you will, can look a lot like a bad relationship, a bad financial situation, being stuck in your past, all of those things, fear that grips you, all of those things tend to cause us to go stir-crazy in our circumstances. And what we're trying to find out, what we're trying to learn from the Bible during this series is how to avoid that. Because God doesn't want us to go stir-crazy. When we go stir-crazy, we miss what He has for us. And the Apostle Paul has taught us his secret uh, throughout this book of Philippians to, to not go and stir-crazy. And it's the way he had uh, the power of biblical perspective. It changed the way he saw the situation. And throughout this series, we've learned already that Paul, uh, while he was in prison, he realized through his unique viewpoint that God was doing things in and through him while he was there. He learned while he was there and, and, and wrote to the Philippians that God was advancing the kingdom. He was growing the kingdom while he had Paul there. He was using Paul being in prison to grow the kingdom. And then we learned last week that God used Paul being in prison to grow other believers. So individual Christians in the churches. They were emboldened. They were encouraged to see how Paul was reacting while he was in prison. Well, today, and today we're going to learn another aspect of the result of Paul having the correct viewpoint. Remember, it's like polarized glasses. We have a choice as, as Christians. What are we going to look through? What lens are we going to use? What is our viewpoint of our situations in life going to be? When you feel like going stir-crazy, we have a different choice we can make. We can put on the lens of God's Word, God's perspective, and it changes everything. So, welcome to the finale today. And hopefully by the end of this series, you will choose to see the world differently, to see your life differently, to see even the hard things in your life differently because we can have biblical perspective. Welcome to the finale of Stir Crazy. 
So we've seen throughout this series that the Apostle Paul had a unique way of looking at things. And we learned that polarized glasses, the way they work, the way they give you more uh, clarity of vision is that they remove all the horizontal light and they allow only vertical light. Well, Paul clearly had a perspective in his life, the way he looked at things, uh, that was vertical in nature. He did a great job by God's power of removing the, the distractions of all of the horizontal things in his life. And there were plenty of things that could have brought him down. So let's take another look as we have every week, kind of the structure of the way we've done the Stir Crazy series. Is we start each week looking at Paul's perspective, and then we look at a result of that perspective. So today, let's look at his perspective again. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Now, this is very important. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every, watch that word, in. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, there it is, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. So the Apostle Paul is giving us just a ton of great material here because what he's telling you is he's, he's explaining to you his perspective. He's explaining to you the lens that he's looking through. And what he says, first of all, is that he couldn't do this on his own. He ends this little section by telling you that the way he's able to do this is that he is in Christ Jesus, that Jesus has enabled Paul to develop a viewpoint in his life, a perspective that is powerful, biblical, joyful, and it's not dependent on the situation that he is in. And the word you need to understand is how is very important. It's the word in, I-N. And, and what we're going to look at for a moment is the difference between the word in and the word with. Because Paul does not say here that he is content with the prison. He does not say he's content with the situation. So I don't want you to misunderstand. Remember, this is not escapism. This is not you acting like the situation isn't bad. That's not Christianity. It's not the gospel. No, Paul understands he's in a dungeon, he's in a prison. He understands he could be eventually executed. He understands that it's rough. And if he could get out of there, he would choose to. He doesn't really want to be in the prison. So he never says for us to, to act or fake it till we make it and all those kinds of trite little things that we do. No, Paul is sitting here and he's saying, no, I, I, don't, I don't like the prison. It's not that I'm okay with the prison. Watch this. But he says, but if I'm in the prison because of Jesus, I can be okay in any circumstance. There's the difference. So the Bible is not calling us to be okay with a bad marriage, be okay with a hard situation, be okay with the suffering. No, it's, it's not that you, that you act like cancer isn't tough or that we act like COVID hasn't been bad or that we act like the financial situation isn't stressful. That would be escapism. No, we're able to face reality as Christians. And what we say is, yeah, the, the disease is bad, but for every minute I'm in that situation, I will have joy in Christ Jesus. There's the difference. So Paul was able to be content. And that word contentment is important. The Greek idea of the word contentment means satisfied and adequate. Uh, this is incredible. Uh, this quote by theologian Charles Kelly. He said this, Christian commitment and contentment is the God-given ability to be satisfied with the loving provision of God, watch this, in any and every situation. Not with every situation. Once again, it doesn't mean you go, man, I'm, I'm really happy my marriage isn't going well. I'm really happy I got bad news at the doctor's office. That's, that is a misunderstanding of Scripture. No, what it says is, whatever I face, whatever I find myself in, God can sustain me. 
God can give me power. And that's what Paul says here. He says, I found the secret. And the secret is that Jesus has enabled him, uh, just like theologian Charles Kelly says there, Christian contentment is a God-given ability. And Paul admits he didn't come up with this on his own. He didn't make his own polarized sunglasses. God gave them to him over time, over years and years and years of walking with Jesus and watching His faithfulness and being in the Word and being in prayer. Over time, he began to see that it did not matter what situation he was in, he could glorify God and be joyful in that situation. You see, just like those polarized glasses we keep talking about, circumstances, and I'm so glad of this, Paul teaches us, that your circumstances do not have to drive your contentment. Whatever you are in, you can be content. You can be content. You can be fully satisfied. You can be fully adequate in whatever situation you're in because of Jesus. Because you have a vertical, remember, vertical, horizontal, you have a vertical relationship with Jesus. It's going to take you having that viewpoint to remove the horizontal because Paul had plenty of reasons to not be content. He was probably starving half to death, The food wasn't great. Horrible conditions in those prisons. And yet, God was faithful to him. Uh, David Jeremiah, incredible, incredible theologian, he says this. He says that contentment is a learned behavior. It is independent of circumstances. It's a state of being and not doing. And it's based on the provision in Christ. Contentment, therefore, is a choice we make. And we're going to take the next few moments, we're going to break down those things that Dr. David Jeremiah just shared with us. Piece by piece, what does it mean to really be content? So the first thing David Jeremiah helps us understand in one of his commentaries here is that contentment uh, is a learned behavior. I want you to understand today that you can learn this. You don't just come out of the gate as a brand new Christian understanding contentment. Contentment takes time. Paul had been a believer for a long time. He'd been walking with Jesus for a long time when he wrote the book of Philippians. So I want you to understand that if you are not where Paul is, we can look at him and go in an aspirational sense, yeah, but that's where we want to be. We want to be more like that. So it is a learned behavior. You can learn to be content in every situation. And you can get better and better at it. Uh, Secondly, he said that true contentment, biblical contentment, is independent of circumstances. That means that whatever you're in, you can be content. So we need to stop looking at our circumstances. It's kind of like when Peter wanted to walk on the water like Jesus. Jesus invited him. He said, come on out on the water. And Peter walked on the water for a few moments, but then the Bible tells us he looked at the wind and the waves, which is horizontal. As long as he was vertical with Jesus, he was good to go. But when he began to look at the horizontal, the waves, the wind, the spray of the water, the danger, he sunk in the water. Why? Why did it happen like that? Well, because, listen, if you're not careful and you allow your circumstances to drive your contentment, you will never be content because our circumstances change all the time. So you can't depend on that. You've got to have something you can depend on, and that is Jesus and His Word. Thirdly, he says it's a state of being and not doing. Understand that Paul didn't do things to make himself feel better in the prison because he had nothing he could do. There was nothing he could do to open those doors and get out of there. So instead, it was a state of being. And that's why circumstances simply cannot take your joy and contentment away if it is rooted in Christ. It's who we are, not what we do. And it's based on the provision in Christ. It's really important to understand that. Uh, Paul tells us here that, that he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength and that he is 
His provider. Jesus has provided for us in the Gospel all that we need. And so we can be content in Him. So again, contentment is a choice. And the question is today, are you choosing contentment? Not with your situation. So if you're in a marriage that's not good, fight for it. Go get counseling. Don't just be okay with what it is. No, no, you fight to make it better. It's not that you're content with it, but you can be content every moment while you're in it, while you work to make it better, while you pray, while you get counseling, while you do those things. You can be content in it because of Jesus, not because the circumstances are changing or getting better or worse, but because of Jesus. And you can take that application of marriage and apply it to to your job, you can apply it to your family, your health, your finances, every major area of your life. You can remain content no matter what's happening as long as you root your contentment and your viewpoint and your perspective in Christ Jesus. So each week we've looked at perspective, the perspective that Paul had, and we just got another reminder of it. His perspective was mature. It was Christ-exalting. He could be content in the prison even though he wasn't content with it. He could be content while he was in it, and we learned so much from that. But now let's look at the third and final result that we get from Paul's perspective. We learned in week one, because he could see the world through the lens that God wanted him to see it through, that he could see that God was using his imprisonment to advance the kingdom and grow it. And then in week two, because of Paul's unique perspective, he could see that him being in prison was actually growing other believers. But today, in this finale of the Stir Crazy series, we're going to see that because... Paul had a biblical viewpoint. He could see that God was growing him in the prison. That the prison had become an incubator of his own growth. That his faith was growing there. So we learned today that when we find ourselves stuck, when God is involved in us being stuck, He can grow us while we are stuck. Very important for us to understand. Let's read in Philippians 1, 19-21 what Paul had to say about this. He said, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that will, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Again, that's Philippians 1, 19-21. Now let's take a moment and break down what Paul meant by these famous and powerful words. So the first thing we see Paul talking about here to the Philippians is he's so grateful for their prayers. We need to all be praying for each other. One thing that we need to remember is that we are a community of believers. You need to have some believers in your life that when you're on the verge of going stir-crazy, that you can reach out to them, they can help you through it. Uh, Just last year at the beginning of the pandemic, when I was stuck in the Middle East, I got stuck there with a group of folks from... Our church, we were going to tour Israel. Didn't work out that way. We got stuck as COVID was exploding all around us. Didn't look like we were going to get out of there anytime soon. And I was going a bit stir crazy uh, as we were stuck for real. And God was doing some incredible things in us. I look back on it. I can see how God grew me and all of us so very much, taught us so many lessons. But one thing that was very important is that I was able to call dear brothers of mine, dear friends of mine who are Christians, and they helped me through that feeling of stir-crazy. And Paul says here, hey, your prayers are helping me. He knows that the Philippians are praying for him, and he he is also confident. There's a confidence about Paul that God is in control of this, that that he doesn't have to worry and be anxious, that he can trade that uh, for full confidence in Jesus, and we can do the same. 
And then he uses a phrase that's interesting in verse 20. He says, my eager expectation. This is interesting because eager expectation, that idea in the Greek language, is the idea of someone literally turning their head away from everything else and looking for something that they know is coming. So it's almost like if you're looking down a road because you just know a good friend of yours is on his way and, and, and they're coming. It's kind of like this. I like to use Uber. And when I go travel in cities, I use Uber. And one thing that's kind of cool is when you type in your address and you're sitting there waiting for Uber to come, it'll pull up a map. And by satellite imagery, it's showing you the little car that's coming. And, and it'll tell you what car it is. Like, this is a silver Toyota Camry. And and here's the person's name that's driving, and it'll let you know, hey, five minutes away, and you're looking, and you can tell, oh, it's coming down the road. And then when you can see that your Uber car is about to turn on your road, you start looking, right? Just naturally. You can't wait to see that car come down that road. That's the idea here that Paul gives. Paul says he has an eager expectation and hope. And what is he so eager about? What, is, what does he want to see coming down the road of his life so much? Not an escape from the prison. That is interesting, isn't it? He's not, he's not like, I just know any moment those doors are going to open, I'm going to get out. No, no. What he says is, I am looking down that road. I am eagerly expecting and hoping, watch this, that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, Christ will be honored in my life or my death. This is so powerful. I want you to see what mature Christianity looks like. This is what it looks like. When we walk with Jesus long enough that we're consumed by Him. Paul is consumed by Jesus. He's not looking for an escape from the prison. He's not even asking for that. What he wants is to grow. More than anything else, he wants God to grow him while he's there. And he does not want to fail this test. He wants to grow. He wants to get whatever God wants for him to get out of his time in prison, however long that is, even if it includes death. Now, how can you and I have that kind of perspective? That is so powerful. If you want to know why Paul could write the joy book of the Bible while he's in prison, there it is. Because he had died to himself. It's like one famous writer said, hey, when we come to Jesus, He bids us to come and die. And what that means is we die to ourselves. Paul is a mature believer. And he hasn't been wasting his time on planet Earth. As he's been walking with Jesus, he's been changing and growing into the person that he is now, and it's so important for us to see that he was looking not for an escape, but more growth. He wanted to grow in Christ. He's like the athlete that's already better than everybody else, really, but they keep pushing to get just a little bit better. They fight for that 1% growth that everyone else would say, oh, you're good enough, but they keep fighting. That's how there's a lot of great athletes, and then there's the ones who change the game. It's kind of like the Michael Jordans of the world and the LeBron James of the world who, who keep fighting to just get a little bit better when they're already better than everyone else, but they want to get just a little more growth, just get a little bit stronger, a little bit better, like the Tom Brady's and the Drew Brees of the world that keep pushing and keep practicing and keep trying to learn the game better. That's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul just wants to get even stronger in Christ, even more faithful, even more uh, useful to God. It's pretty amazing. And it's very inspirational for us today. This is what mature Christianity looks like. Mature Christianity is a different viewpoint. We just simply can't keep looking at the world the way we always have. We can't look at money the way we always have. We can't look at our suffering and hardship. We can't look at our marriages and our friendships. Nothing can remain the same if we're really going to follow Jesus. He is radical. He changes everything. 
I'm sorry, you just can't be a mature Christian and continue to be materialistic. Continue to be a gossip. Continue to not care about your marriage and not focus on your family. You just simply can't do those things and follow Jesus closely for very long. He is going to radically change your life and the way you view things. And if you want to see what it looks like, look at the Apostle Paul. This dude gets thrown in prison and you cannot knock his joy out. This guy is suffering in prison and he's still trying to teach the church and it's still not about him and he will not even ask to get out of the prison. Instead, he is looking down the road with eager expectation that he might find a way to grow and find a way to get stronger. That is what it looks like to have biblical perspective and understand that God can use your prison and your pain to grow you. So when it comes to growing in our faith, which is what we see happening with the Apostle Paul, right here he's, he's telling us that he's growing in the prison. Like more than ever, he's saying even death doesn't scare me. To, to die is gain. He is consumed by Christ. But I want you to understand, it did not happen for Paul like that overnight. He had to grow. And if you know anything about his life, you know that he had to grow over and over again. And that happens for you and I. I recently read an incredible book, a biography on the Wright brothers. Now the Wright brothers... Uh, basically invented uh, uh, aeronautics, the ability for men and women to fly. And you know, for a long time, it, it was thought that that would be absolutely impossible. They say that Orville and Wilbur Wright changed the world, and they really did in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. These two high school dropouts uh, from Dayton, Ohio, did what scientists and, and, and other people could not do. The Smithsonian Institute of the United States was using government money and we're talking tons of money for years and years to try to build flying machines and nothing would work. But when you look at how Orville and Wilbur did it, they studied birds. They studied birds for years and years and they figured out designs that would actually work. But one thing that was interesting, Wilbur Wright when was, was asked to give a speech about how they did it, how they pulled it off, how they built that first airplane that actually worked and then, as we know, changed history and changed the world, changed warfare, changed human travel literally changed the world. Well, in a speech he said, everyone else had always tried to build a machine that could fly. But the problem was, the people flying the machine had to learn how to fly. It wasn't enough to just build a machine that possibly could fly. You had to learn, the human had to learn how to fly. And just like a bird, Wilbur Wright said, the only way to actually learn to fly is to try to fly. So that's why the, the Wright brothers did their research and got the Weather Bureau of the United States to help them find a spot in the United States that they could go with their flying machine and try it out. And that's how they ended up in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, basically a barrier island right off the coast. And, and this was a desolate place with really deep, soft sand dunes. And it had some dunes that were like 100 foot high and 60 feet high. It was, it was an amazing place, desolate. That's where they did. They packed up their their, their plane, their flying machine, went to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, put it all together, put it up on these big hills, and they could try to fly and learn how to fly. And they did this for five, six years. They would go out to Kitty Hawk. They would make adjustments. But they could fly and glide and then eventually put an engine and propellers on their machine. And if they fell and they did over and over again, they crashed over and over again. They were crashing into soft sand, not into trees and buildings. And, and they never got hurt during those in original test flights there in Kitty Hawk. Pretty amazing. But, but he makes a good point. The only way to become a person who can fly was to go practice flying. And just let me help you understand, the only way to get a viewpoint like Paul has, the only way to live like this is to practice it. Because faith is a muscle. 
Listen, the Bible tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. You know, there's a lot of definitions about faith. There's a lot, but when we talk about God growing us, He wants to grow our faith. But, but faith is not this incantation ability that we have to make things happen or whatever you've grown up hearing, whatever you saw maybe on television, some guy with a Bible in his hand telling you that faith is some kind of secret program that God will just do whatever you want Him to do. That's all garbage, okay? But what does the Bible actually teach us? Well, the Bible actually defines it. The Bible tells us it's impossible to please God without faith. And what is faith? Faith is believing God is who He says He is and will do what He says He will do. Now, when I believe that He is who He says He is and that He'll do everything He's promised to do, then I don't have to worry and I don't have to be anxious. But I have to practice that. And how do I practice it? God puts us in tough circumstances. How does God grow us in our faith? He does it through circumstances. There's no shortcut to this. There's no easy way. You have to do like Paul did and get shipwrecked and thrown into prison a few times, beaten up a few times. That's how God used circumstances to grow Paul. And He'll use your circumstances as well. Tough situations, tough relationships, tough financial things. You lose a job, you end up in a job you don't like. A global pandemic shuts the world down for a year. On and on it goes. And we can either choose to go stir-crazy and miss what God's trying to do in our lives, or we can let Him grow us. We can lean into it and we can practice like an athlete working out, tearing down their muscles so that they can actually grow stronger. That is what God desires to do in our lives. That's what He wants to do. Listen to this incredible group of verses in Philippians. It says this, Paul went on, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is showing you what it sounds like when you're a mature Christian. This is where God wants all of us to end up, where we are sold out to Jesus. And Paul definitely was. He uses this idea of profit and loss. He says here, I used to have a big portfolio, if you will, like an investor would. Paul says, I used to have a big fat portfolio. And he listed out in, in the book of Philippians, he says, I was a Pharisee. And, and to us, that's a very negative connotation because of what we understand. Uh, but in his day, a Pharisee was considered the creme de la creme intellectually of the day. They were treated like celebrities. Paul had money, he had acclaim, he, had, he, he was on the fast track to be an incredibly powerful person. And Paul said now, though, he looks at all the things that he used to view as so very valuable. He says now that he's put on the viewpoint of Christ, it all, and he uses this word, it's all rubbish. Meaning, what, what Paul says is, hey, your viewpoint has to change. It's, at some point, if you follow Jesus long enough, the stuff of this world, it becomes rubbish. It, it becomes things that you're not tied to. You hold everything with open hands and you only hold Jesus with closed fists if you follow him long enough. Paul was really like a long-term investor. You know how some people, they take a little bit of money and they put it in this investment and then they, they, they chase investments, right? But the ones that do really well are the ones that do what we call long-term investing. They invest 
over a long period of time in things they believe in, and in the long run, they end up with incredible profit. Paul says here that when he came to Jesus, he pulled all of his resources, if you will, his energy, his time, his future, his dreams, his destiny, he put it all in Jesus. And he says here, I don't regret it. He says, I consider anything else I could have gotten out of this life rubbish. And he says, and I consider what I am getting in Jesus complete gain. Paul had decided along the way that his comfort just wasn't as important. He had decided along the way because of his viewpoint, his perspective, that his money wasn't as important, being famous wasn't as important, being important wasn't as important. He decided that the one driving force in his life of most importance was Christ and Paul's growth in Christ, honoring Christ, growing the kingdom, growing other believers, and he himself growing in every situation so that he could glorify God. That's what he wanted, fellowship with Christ, growth in Christ. And he decided, like a long-term investor, he said, I am all in. And, and, and when that happens, watch, a long-term investor will not change their investment strategy when the market conditions change from time to time. That's why they're called long-term investors. They stick with it long-term because they know they have confidence in what they've invested in. Paul did not change his attitude towards Jesus based on his circumstances because his circumstances were always changing. Shipwreck here, thrown in prison here, Missionary journey gets changed here. People reject him here over and over again. It was not an easy road for Paul. But Paul said, I'm all in with Jesus. I'm all in with Jesus. If it costs me everything, if I end up poor and a fool, at one point he says, if I'm made to be a fool in Christ, fine, make me a fool. I'm all in with Jesus. If it costs me my life, I'm all in. Have you ever made that decision in your life? As we bring stir crazy to a close, listen, this world will make you stir crazy. You will be in confined situations. And especially if you're a Christian, if you walk with Jesus long enough, He's going to test you and refine you so that He can grow you. Have you ever made that decision that you said, I am all in with Jesus, whatever it costs me, if it costs me everything, I'm all in with Jesus? That's the question for all of us today. Great theologian Mark Dever says it like this. It's so good. He says, if you are going to follow Jesus, you need to remember a few things. First of all, you need to remember, before you decide to follow Jesus, it's costly. So you better consider it carefully. Secondly, it's urgent, so you need to make your decision soon. And last, it's worth it, so you're never going to regret it if you follow Jesus. And so what I, what I would say is, if you're a Christian today at the end of the Stir Crazy series, I would say to you today, go all in with Jesus. What are you doing equivocating? Why are you walking around the edge of the pool? Dive in. Always, it really always got on my nerves when someone was around the pool and they're just, oh, I might go in, I might not. They dip their toe in or they get to the end of the diving board, they won't jump in. And I was always like, jump, jump in. And I would just say to you today, many of you have been walking around the pool of Jesus for a long time. When are you going to jump in? No, no, he, he will not accept you dipping your toe in and seeing the temperature. He wants you all in. So why not today at the end of the Stir Crazy series, wherever you are, on a porch, in a, on a boat, on a vacation, wherever you're joining us, in your living room, with your family, I am challenging you right now. It's urgent. Make a decision now. It's going to cost you everything. So you better think twice about it. But if you go all in with Jesus, you're not going to regret it. You're never going to regret it because the riches in Christ are greater than anything you can ever have in this life. Hold everything else in this life with open hands. Hold tight to Jesus. And then finally, 
look, you may be here for the Stir Crazy series, and you may not know Jesus at all. Maybe you have played the religion game. Maybe you have walked all the way around the pool of Christ. You've never jumped in. You've never tasted the water, felt the water. You've never taken a swim in the truth of who Jesus is. You could tell me all about the pool. Some of you have grown up here in, in the southern part of the United States, and you've heard a lot of sermons. You could tell me about the depth of the pool, the temperature of the pool, the water quality, the liner, all those things. But you've never jumped in. You can tell me all about Jesus, but you don't know Him. Don't you want to experience life as free as Paul? Listen, watch this. Paul was so free, a prison could not contain his joy. Paul was so free that the shackles of Rome could not restrain him. He was so free that no circumstance could change his freedom. Don't, don't you want to be that free? Today you can by giving your life to Jesus, by jumping in the pool of Christ. Immerse all in today. Give your life to Christ. Thank you for joining us for the Stir Crazy series.